Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. All right, we're starting a new series called Open Heaven. <clears throat> and if you're wondering what that means, um, you're in good company. I do as well. It's a fascinating concept that the heavens may even be, they could even possibly be closed, but uh, we wanna talk about open heavens today. And um, uh, while we've been, while I was away in Australia, we had uh, both Stephen and Brad, who are part of our East Village campus downtown, they helped step in. We're raising a team of young preachers that are gonna be incredible. We do have a campus downtown if anybody uh, you know, know anybody in East Village that would like to join them every Sunday night at uh, Calgary, uh, at Fort Calgary at six o'clock. So um, we, we uh, yesterday we had a meeting of, um, of some of our discipleship group leaders and uh, we're changing a question for many years. Um, this this <clears throat> personally, uh, this year's an interesting year for me. It's my 30th year in full-time ministry. Now, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> here's what can happen is that you can actually uh, have 30 years involved, but one year of experience because you chose not to grow. I mean, lots of Christians who have been Christians for, they'll say 20 years, but just kept going around the same mountain. So they've never actually stepped through into another dimension of life, kingdom life. And sometimes that simple step, uh, sorry, not a simple step, but that every time, that step, it's a step of faith. What we did this morning was a step of faith. Otherwise, it was just crackers and juice. Some of you have that every Saturday afternoon. It's like, and baptism's no different. It's just a dunk in some water, unless there's faith connected with it. So, so this morning, part of being together in a corporate gathering like this, you can actually, what can happen collectively is faith can actually rise within your heart because the faith of others start to rise and you actually feel it. And I started to feel during worship some faith in the air. Faith is always a choice because God has allowed us to make a choice. So there's room for doubt. I found that lots of people who read the Bible don't obey the Bible. It's always a choice. So you can read the Bible all your life and not be changed. You wonder, is that even possible? It's very possible. There's scholars that study the Bible and think it's just an interesting piece of history. But for you and I, we add faith. And that's why when we look at passages from the Old Testament, it's one of the biggest challenges for us to reconcile the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. <laughs> but yet he says that he doesn't change. But it seems like he functions a little bit differently. Am I the only one that's ever noticed that? What's with this genocide and all this blood? And yet in the New Testament, it seems to be a little bit different. This is one of the biggest questions that people have in reconciling the, the Old and the New Testament and, and the entire canon of Scripture. So I want to address that just a little bit as we look at one topic today. And we change, we're, we're changing the question as a church from, Lord, how do we grow our church? Which it really isn't ours anyway. We like it when people say this is our church, but it's really his church. <laughs> he said he'd grow his church, build his church. Building is different than growing. His church is being built. But we've changed the, the question because we think that the question actually has a big part to do with how we, how we respond 
to more like how do we build your kingdom? Not just in our community, but in our city and across this country because the mandate rests on us to disciple nations. How in the world is that ever gonna happen? Well, we're in the middle of that. There's a young, two, two, two young guys had just heard a great, great sermon on prayer and they were standing outside and the pastor, you know when pastors used to stand outside church doors and shake hands, uh, they were doing that and the one guy said, I'd like to ask the pastor a question, you think I should because I wonder if you can smoke while you're praying. This was his question. She said, well, just ask him. He asked the pastor, can I smoke while I'm praying? And the pastor said, absolutely not. You desecrate the whole thing of prayer. The guy says, you asked him the wrong question. Ask him if you, pray, you can pray while you smoke. <laughs> he went back and asked him, can I pray while I smoke? Absolutely, prayer's sacred. You can pray anytime, anywhere. <laughs> just change the question. Um, the, the, um, the, inter the idea of open heavens is very interesting. I've got kind of six rules of interpretation that I keep within my heart as I'm studying scripture, and I don't know if they'll be helpful for you or not. I'm gonna share them with you because we're gonna look at a passage in the Old Testament that um, has really significant current day uh, application. And, um, and I, I, I usually, first of all, there are, there are times when the Bible is not, is not accurate, and, and you need to consider that. When is it ever accurate? The Bible is true, but I, actually, I am not. Like N.T. Wright said, there's 20% of my theology that's wrong, but I just don't know which 20% it is. It's to be the same with you, because you have certain ex experiences that you view life with, and you come to the scripture with certain presupposed ideas and prejudices where you've prejudged issues, and you've, now you come to it with that. We have to come, we have to come, so one of the times that scripture is not accurate is when it's read out of context. So you always have to read scripture in context. Secondly, as best you can, I think it's really important to get back to the original languages and the original culture to see what was really being said. Another thing that I try to do is I try to harmonize the, what I'm reading with the logos, the logic, if you will, of God, the entire counsel of God, as, as is revealed in the entire scripture. Harmonize it with the logos. Um, second, or, or, or fourthly, I, I, I come to the scriptures knowing that God can, can never contradict who he is. So he's, his character is revealed in his names. And when you study the names, either the covenant names or the compound names of God, you realize that he can never contradict that. So because one of his names is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, it's always God's will to heal. Because that's who he is. It's in his nature. So it, what he's doing is never, can never contradict who he is. Um, fifthly, what we read in, the, in Scripture can never contradict the teachings of Jesus. And so when you find something that's in conflict with what you're reading, you read about through the Gospels about what are the teachings of Jesus and how did he function. And sixthly, what is read can never contradict the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because we live on this side of the cross. So those are six rules of interpretation that I try to stay consistent with. The scriptures were always meant to be read and interpreted from the Father's love. Whenever we read scripture outside of a context of unconditional love, we'll get, they'll be skewed for us. 
Um, I love Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He, this, is a past, this is a statement, a past tense statement. You have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not will he bless you, he already has blessed you. If you're not experiencing that blessing, it's not his fault. Many believe that God can, but, but will he? Or he can for others, but will he do it for me? That's where you and I have to access everything that's been provided by grace. We access it by faith. We live by faith. We move by faith. That's how we, that's how we function. So I don't know what's going on in anybody's heart. There's only one, there's one, one term in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it's, it's called, um, it, it's like, it, it goes like this. It says the, um, it's the heart knower. There's only one who knows your heart. Where, where decisions are made, where beliefs are held. There's only one. And it's not your spouse. So, so when I think about this, that everything has been provided by grace, this is actually a very remarkable thing for me. But now I have to ac- access that, all that's been provided for me, by faith. When we talk about an open heaven, we're talking about how things get from heaven to earth. If you and I were to write a prayer for somebody who would read it 2,000 years from now, how would it read? Well, here's, here's how it is read in Ephesians 1 and verse 15. Because I would say probably the prayer might go something like, so God send revival, pour out your spirit, stretch forth your hand, do a new thing. That may be the prayer that I would write for believers 2,000 years from now. But here's, here's what was written. He, Instead, Paul wrote this, that he, he says, I pray that their eyes would be open to see who you are and what you have already done. It's a different prayer. So when we talk about this morning, we're going to basically talk about finances and specifically about the tithe. And I have, I'm unapologetic because it's biblical. How you're going to apply it is up to you. <laughs> but, but what I think happens is, is um, people end up with secondhand revelations. And this is a problem. This is how it all got unraveled back in the garden. A little bit strategic by the enemy. Rather than going to Adam, who God had spoke to directly, he comes to Eve. So whenever you and I don't get things firsthand, the, the potential for confusion is high. So I'm going to share with you what I think about the tithe in general, but that's really not what's important. The question is, what do you think? I, I share about what I think about Jesus, but that's not as important to, in terms of impacting you. It's what do you think? Jesus said, oh, that's, that's good that people say this about me, Peter, but who do you say that I am? This is a big question. So you need to have a personal revelation around finances. The amount of people that tithe in the church in North America is shockingly low. But yet they call themselves followers of Christ. And so there's a reason for that. I'm not exactly sure what that is. But in my life since I was saved, I chose to follow Jesus, and I read through these passages and more, it seemed to me that this was a thing that we are going to make a decision about right at the beginning, and we're not going to veer from it unless the Lord redirected our life. When someone asks about my 
where I got my call or whatever about following Christ. It really just came right at the very beginning. I just chose, I'm just going to say yes to Jesus. And I don't plan on changing that. So I'm really, I'm really, really very encouraged with, with what um, the, the revelations that Pastor Phil has, my leader, on finances. But it's more important that you, that you get a revelation for yourself. Mal- Malachi chapter uh, 4 is often quoted during giving times. The real issue in Malachi was that the people were simply not bringing their best. They were bringing the blind, the crippled, that, that old wore out goat that had a broken leg, bruised, maimed, blind, it could only, couldn't see, was bumping into trees. And they were bringing what would basically was going to just fall over anyway. They were bringing their leftovers. And, and essentially Malachi was saying, if you return to me, I'll return to you. And he's saying, but you have not returned to me. And then the issue continues to be complicated because his house then was in ruin and the tithes and the offerings were meant to support the priests and that was not taking place. The word term Malachi means a messenger. Very little, actually nothing is known about his history, his ancestry, his personal call. But what's important is not so much about where he came from, what's important is his message. And so as we look at his message... I think it's quite important that you read through the whole thing in context. And I've got at the top of my, um, uh, the outline in my Bible, I call it a lover's quarrel. Because that's kind of what it sounds like when you read through it. If you read verse 2, it says, I've loved you deeply, says the Lord, but you say, really? How have you, how have you loved us? There's just, there's a little dialogue about, between two people. Verse 6, the Lord Almighty says to the priest, A son honors his father and a servant respects his master. I'm your father and master, but where is the honor and the respect that I deserve? You have despised my name. But you you ask, well, how have we ever despised your name? It's It's a little dialogue taking place. So when we look, when we come to the end, there's a very interesting phrase towards the end by chapter three there. He talks about opening up the heavens. He says, you've cheated me with tithes and offerings that are due me. Yeah, therefore you're under a curse, and the nation has been, cheat, treating, treating me, or has been cheating me. So bring the tithes into the storehouse so there's going to be enough food in my temple. Temples don't need to eat. The food is for the priests. He said, he, said, he said there's an authorized system by which I've wanted my things from heaven to get to earth. It's called the church. There's a doorway and a gateway by which things come from heaven to earth. It's an authorized, authorized entrance port. This is, what, this is what Jacob had a revelation of in Genesis 20, 28. Um, and he says, I'm going to, then God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And then he makes this, he says this about, really about no other promise. He said, try it and prove me. That's a very radical thing. Um, about, about 10 years ago, we had about, uh, in, in the church, we did a tithe challenge, and it was, uh, it went on for two or three years, and we put on the offering op- uh, message on the offering envelope, uh, try it. I, we did, we should have said, you'll like it, but we did, we just said, try it, and prove, and prove it. So what we would do, if anybody wanted to try it, we would take their tithe, their 10% of their gross income, and we'd put it in a separate account, and if after a year they weren't more blessed than when they started, we'd simply give their money back. It was a simple thing. 
Now it's a little bit, it's a bit of a bookkeeping issue now as our church has grown, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> um, I meant to lighten the loads of our staff. <clears throat> Nobody came back and asked for money. But again, it requires eyes of faith to see how the Lord has blessed you. But he says, try it and prove it. I think, I think it's possible for us to do that. Matthew 23 and verse 23, Jesus said, you should tithe. But he said, in doing so, I don't want you to overlook some of the weightier matters. Here's what was taking place. Here's, there was two issues that were taking place. Um, the first one, what happened is that a legalist would focus on the event and believe that that made them right with God. Here's what you have to understand about God. This isn't like a lottery ticket. You have to add faith to your tithe. <laughs> so, so that's an important thing. Like, otherwise, this is the best investment ever. Am I right? But if you just do it mechanically and then forget about everything else, you'll find that your things may not go as awesome as you thought. And they said, I tried it. Yeah, but you were just as much of a heathen after, and there was no faith involved, and you wonder why stuff didn't go well. So, so here's what they said, because not all truth is equal. He said, yeah, that's the truth. Yeah, you should tithe. But don't forget these weightier matters of learning to love each other and about justice and about forgiveness and about mercy. Don't just do the one thing. Here, because here's what we all know is the letter specifically kills, but it's the spirit that gives life. So what's the spirit in which the tithe is given? And that's what's critical when we tithe. When we, and, and, and we're even told that, that um, the principle in Romans chapter 11 and 6 or 7 or 9 or whatever, it says that a, a little portion can make the other portion sacred or holy. The tithe is said it's holy, it's sacred. We don't pay tithes, we return tithes. Because they were his. And as we return the tithe, he makes the other 90% sacred. And I have found that we can do more in our family with 90% than we can ever do with, 10, with 100%. Because as we watch, the Lord multiplies. And it's phenomenal to have God involved in your finances. Yeah, so the second thing is when the, is, was when they, would dis they disobeyed God and neglected the temple ministry to keep it going. Um, a tithe by the... By, um, by definition is simply, it's a tenth. So you can't tithe 20% because it means 10. I mean, you can double tithe, but a tithe is a tenth. It's what it is. And they were told, if you read through some of the earlier portions of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, what they could do because it was an agricultural economy. So they were to bring a, some of their, a, a tenth of their grain, tenth of their wine. Yeah, they made wine. A, Tenth of uh, their animals. You imagine going off to the temple and all of this stuff, if you had to come a long ways, that you got the little on your back and you've got like big, big bushels of grain. And see, so he understood this. And it, so we're told in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 14 and verse 26, because when you, he says, when you come in to worship, bring in your tithes. But what you can do is you can take the, your animals and your grain and your grapes and you can turn it into money and then just bring the money. But then it says, this is, this is actually, I had not really seen this that clearly as when I was studying this. I think it's in Deuteronomy 27 where it says when you bring it in, you, when you bring in the money, add another 20% to it. I know. And then he says, get this. When you bring it in, no, that is in chapter 14, isn't it? Purpose of the tithes is to teach you to, pre, to, um, 
to always fear the Lord. The place your Lord puts his name is on his church. Yeah, but you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds and take the money to the place the Lord has chosen. And when you arrive, use the money to buy anything you want, oxes, sheep, some wine, and some beer. Okay, careful, the sermon's not done. They were to bring, and you were to celebrate with your family. The returning of the time with tithe was a form of celebration. But what was taking place is the priests actually weren't doing their function, neither, is they were meant to say, what you're doing, would you take anybody, would you bring anybody, he says in chapter 1, would you even bring the governor like a bad offering? <laughs> well, the priests actually were not stepping up and saying, whoa, 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 this one's all bruised, it's only got three legs, it's got a patch over the one eye. Are you really, is that what you're doing? Well, the priests were saying, well, just do whatever you want. Because it's good to get a bad goat rather than no goat. That's what was taking place. Why is that important? Here's why it's important, because we sang about it this morning. Because the picture of the sacrificial lamb was a picture of our perfect, the perfect sacrifice of the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was perfect, without sin, without blemish. <laughs> He wasn't blind or maimed, or, but he became that so you and I could become whole. What it was pre-shadowing was a picture of Christ. If you see Christ as not giving his best, then I suppose that's what you're going to end up doing or I'm going to end up doing. But when we see him as the perfect sacrifice, we don't bring the lame and the crippled and the maimed, the ones that are just throw away. He says that God so loved us that he brought his best. This was a picture of Christ. You have to look at offerings and the entire sacrificial order, not just as, well, well, I think I'm just going to come and sacrifice something mechanically. No, no, no. He says to obey is much better than to sacrifice. Why? Because the picture was of the perfect Lamb of God. This is what it foreshadowed for us. Um, for everyone, we try to make this a, a, a clear invitation and, and what we do is we remind people. And, and, and it's over and over again in Scripture, we, found, we find that God is a covenant-keeping God. And he reminds us, here, here, here's the principle. If you have in your heart to tithe, that's a voluntary thing. It always is. It can never be mandated or legislated. It's always voluntary. But once we make the vow in our heart, it becomes a binding agreement between us and God. And he said we're supposed to honor our vows. Vows are not that sacred in our culture. Have you noticed? Why is that important? Because if you want to be like him, that's exactly what he's like. I'm glad he keeps his word. Um, keeps his vows. It's not that God needs stuff. Acts chapter 17, verse 25, it says, he himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need that there is. It's not that he needs some stuff, because he's not trying to get something from you. He's trying to get something for you. It's very different. But it requires faith. One of his names is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord whose provision shall be seen. You know that God is unable to function outside of who he is. Lots of things that God can't do, lots of things. For us to say God can do anything is not true. Lots of things he can't do. He, can, he can't lie. He can't break his word. <laughs> I've got a list of, I think it's up to like 40 different things now that God can't do. He can't be not true to himself. He can't be not true to his word. Lots of things he can't do. 
He can't forsake his own. The truth is, God is trying to get something for us. And many times what happens is that we end up blocking the provision. Uh, I know as a father, one of the most painful things for me as a father, and every father here I bet could identify with this. One of the most painful things for me is when I wanted something for my kids and I was unable to provide it for them. Every father, you know. But do you know where you get your idea of fathering from? We get it from our good, good father. And if you being evil know how to give gifts to your kids, how much more? Your heavenly papa. Our view, uh, I have a personal view of some things and um, you know, we sometimes, I think, um, <laughs> we, we oversimplify things with cute little uh, sayings. Um, we, you've maybe heard it said that God will supply your need and not your greed. I mean, just think about that. It's the same when someone says, um, you know, we, we exist as a church for people who are far from God. Uh, think about that. Who's far from God? Think about it. At what moment were you ever far from God? He is like a breath away. You're never far from God. The light that lights every person, every person. God is hanging over, just waiting for you to say yes to him. So he'll supply your need but not your greed. But yet when you look at, that's partly true because greed is not a good thing. We get that. But just, just grow up a little bit and just think about this. After Jesus, he took a handful of things that a little boy offered, and when it was all done, what, why would he have like 12 baskets left over? Why, just think about it. Why would Jesus, at the end of a wedding feast, of the, it's a week long, right? It's towards the end of the week. Why is he going to provide an extra 30 gallons of the best wine? I said wine, not wine. Why would he do that? Because in heaven there's no lack. You see, here's the difference between living under the blessing of God and living on, going from crisis to crisis to crisis because we think that one of the best ways for God to provide for us is by a miracle. It's not. A miracle requires a crisis. One of the best pictures of a miracle is living through the, when they, when they were going across the children of Israel, going through the wilderness, God provided a miracle every day. A miracle is usually just enough for that day. And then tomorrow you've got to get another miracle, another miracle, another miracle. It's very temporal. But you and I have an invitation to live a blessed life, to be under an open heaven, where we live in such a way that every moment of every day, there's not just enough, but there's more than enough. We, it's a very selfish thing for the Lord just to provide for your need, because that's only thinking of you. What about the orphanage? How are we gonna provide for the others in our town? It's not good enough that you just get your needs met. It's better that you get more than your needs met so you have some to help somebody else. Are you with me? This is the pattern, this is the path. We don't wanna live from crisis to crisis. I wanna live under an open heaven consistently and continually, because he's opened up the heaven, he's made a new and living way, and the way and the access is through Jesus Christ. And we now can live under an open heaven, but it is up to us to always respond to his invitation of what he's asking us to do. Basically, under the New Testament, people argue with me, well, I want to be, they, they rarely want to give more than 10% when they think that the Old Testament is, or the tithe is simply in the Old Testament. They're trying to, they're looking for a loophole. You may not be like that. I doubt if you are. Perish the thought. 
Mostly people aren't saying, yeah, I don't want to just give 10%. I want to give 80%. Well, really, we'll give it. (laughs) I want to give 50%. Do I only have to give 10? No, no, what you're trying to do is get away with 2% after tax. I know. I'm as human as anybody else, but I I pre-made that decision. Satan can't tempt me with that anymore. It's an auto-debit. But here's what I find. It's keeping up with his blessings every week. Gosh, look what came in this week. If you don't stop, and that's what the Sabbath is for, to stop and go, okay, let's just look back. After the sixth day, the Lord looked back and he said, whoa, that was good. I looked back and I got, wow, someone took me out. That, that meal was a $200 meal. Do I want to give $20? Absolutely. Somewhere, somehow. I think we can get all bound up in just going by a letter and not going by the spirit of generosity and the spirit of giving. Um, The Old Testament always pointed to the perfect way. He pointed to the one that would come. And and the Old Testament vows, they were always um, uh, voluntary. I've said that already. But the priest said, well, whatever, whatever, whatever. I love that God opened up a new way for us. And I need to wrap up right now. And um, I'm not here to put, I'm here to lift any yoke off people, but it's an invitation for a revelation. Um, the Lord has always provided for us very generally, generously. We're not, we're not in a building program. But we have to function by faith like anybody else as leaders of your church. So what I am meant to do is try and preach the word as clearly as I see it and then just trust the Lord to speak to you. So that's what I'm doing. There's no push for money. And I'm not even going to make it easier for people to give, I don't think. Um... One of the reasons that we invite people to respond is because you need to act. Faith requires an action. Without a corresponding action, faith is actually dead, we're told in James chapter 2. We could, we could send these communion things past you, and all you'd have to do is sit there. But we no, you get up. Move. I can make it really easy for people to respond to Christ. Just pray this prayer in your heart. Or else I could say, stand to your feet. Put your hand in the air. Walk to the front. Make it public. Because eventually it's going to have to go public. So why should we make it easy in church? I, let, let me be polite. <laughs> let's be relatively democratic. Jesus wasn't, but let's try that. I mean, let's not be rude. But I want to build a strong church where people, they don't just, they're, they're not tentative. And when we invite people to come to, forward for, for prayer, come believing. Because I may not have the faith, but as long as some, there's faith somewhere, someone's going to be touched. During worship, I felt that God wanted to heal people. And usually he tells me specifically how. He didn't. If you need healing this morning, I want you to come. And we'll believe for full and complete healing, whatever your need is. Why? Because that's who he is. So all I do is stand in that little space in between. If you don't know Christ as Savior, that's the starting point. I'd like to invite you to come forward to receive Christ as Savior. And we'd like you to stand over by the cross so we know exactly who you are. Um, maybe, maybe in your Christian walk, you may know him as Savior, but you don't know him as provider. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Because the revelation of Jesus is ongoing. It's how he builds our life. Same way he builds a church, same way he builds people on a revelation of who Jesus is. Maybe you need him as more than a healer and provision. You might need him for something more today. 
I don't really know what that is. But today, if you'll respond to him in faith, he'll meet you. I promise you that. Would you all just stand to your feet right now as we wrap up? Father, I thank you for your word. As you ministered your word, Lord, it's because it's alive and the words, you said that your words are spirit and they're life. Father, I pray today that people have been fed from your word. And I ask, Lord, that faith has risen in their hearts as well. And this morning now as we respond to you, we thank you for meeting with us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need healing, I want you to just come forward. If you need salvation, I ask you to come forward. If you need to know him as provision provider, you can do that standing up or you can come on forward and we'll pray for you. Father, I thank you for what's gonna take place in these next moments. People's lives will be liberated because of who you are. You're able to create where nothing was. You can do creative miracles. It's who you are. You are the creator. You spoke and worlds were created. As you speak this morning, worlds will be created. Father, I thank you for reconciliation, restoration, for revelation, for manifestation. I thank you, Father, for your great provision and your great life. God, as people come now, I thank you that you are meeting them right exactly, precisely where they're at. And I thank you for your provision that's made real in Jesus.